Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brevard and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we're doing a little bonus show for you guys because before we do our NFL playoff preview, we have to hand out our official awards. And we have talked about this MVP race throughout the entire year, Logan. And I think we both know where we've ended up at this point. But who do you have taking home MVP this year? I believe we agreed at the midway point of the season, Carson, and I believe uh, we're going to continue holding down strong here. I have Lamar Jackson as my MVP this season, and I think we first have to start with the statistical case for Lamar, uh, especially as we are nerd sesh. Uh, Numbers uh, fascinate Carson and I when we're breaking down uh, football and basketball, but Lamar's been heavily criticized for not having great passing statistics, right? 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 3,600 passing yards, very pedestrian uh, quarterback season, uh, you know, in the scope of NFL history when you're comparing this to other great quarterbacks. Uh, To me, that doesn't matter to me. There's one really clear thing that matters to me when we are judging an MVP uh, candidate and a quarterback. The quarterback's job is to control the game and to dictate the pace of the game. I think no other quarterback in the National Football League dictated and controlled football games the way that Lamar Jackson did, and especially considering how drastically different it was from years previous. Lamar Jackson rushing all the time with option plays. This is methodical Lamar. This is controlled Lamar. This is surgical Lamar, breaking down defenses, extending plays, sitting in the pocket, waiting for things to open up. And the Ravens never wavered. Like, You know, Carson, again, I think it gets lost in the shuffle. We talked about this, I can't, you know, six times probably during the year about where the Ravens could have been uh, had games gone slightly different. Like, you know, they lose to the Steelers by seven in the last week with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Their other losses, the Browns by two points, the Steelers again by seven with Lamar playing, and then overtime to the Indianapolis Colts. Like, 
Do you know how absurdly close we got to the Ravens having an absolutely perfect season? And Carson, I have to give you credit. For two years running, the Ravens have been your dog. Uh, They have been your kind of horse that you have picked to win the race for two years. Now, obviously, injuries caught up to them in a bad way last year. This year, they're way more healthy. Lamar is. The defense is relatively more healthy than last season. You've rocked with them. And I just, again, that's the really key component of Lamar's MVP case to me, is how absurdly close they were to winning every game and how he got him across the finish line when he needed to. Think about that Rams game. You know, Carson, we talked about it. We said it was the QB battle of the year. Them going back and forth. And Lamar leads a game-winning drive at the end of that one to steal it. Like, Lamar just controlled and dictated the game and put his team in a situation to win more than any other player in the NFL. And that, to me, is the, uh, the difference. The numbers don't jump off the page at you. They don't have to. Lamar controlled football games better than any other quarterback in the NFL. And that's why he's my MVP. Yeah, a Lamar Jackson MVP case is never going to be predicated upon individual passing statistics. Even in his first MVP season, where sure, the touchdown production was greater, the efficiency was awesome, his overall passing production wasn't even what it was this year. He is clearly a better passer than he was then, and you absolutely see his impact in terms of the team results. Because how else do you explain the Baltimore Ravens ending the year as the number four scoring offense, a 13-3 and team, When Lamar Jackson played with Zay Flowers as his wide receiver one, lost Mark Andrews, didn't skip a beat. In fact, had his two best games of the year, the Dolphins masterclass and that awesome duel against the Rams after Andrews was out. And Gus Edwards, who I like the Gus bus as much as anybody else, he can punch it into the end zone, but certainly not an elite all-around running back as his RB1. Lamar leads the team in rushing, but he is the leading running back, Gus. So, of course, touchdown totals don't tell the entire story here. And there were so many instances in which Lamar completely controlled the drive, moved you all the way downfield, and then somebody else would punch it in. It's a flawed metric to just look at touchdowns and try to equate that to a guy's overall dominance offensively. Lamar made you the number one rushing offense in football, as he has done every year of his career, because he is an unparalleled rushing threat. And I thought that he weaponized that more effectively than ever before this year and he was smarter about it and he was crazy efficient but he made sure to protect his body all the way throughout and he made you a top five passing offense in terms of efficiency so it is that devastating dual threat that is just constantly feeding itself making him more efficient as a passer because of the threat that he is as a rusher and vice versa i thought that as a passer he showed elite poise this year i thought his accuracy was really good i thought his arm talent was special and he was the most consistently great quarterback in the NFL. People will look at this and say, it's the weakest MVP in 15 years. It's the weakest statistical case since Peyton Manning back in 2008. And it was a flawed race. But that's kind of the separator between Lamar and these other dudes. Josh Allen, my guy, had games where he sucked. Mm -hmm. Against the Jets, he was horrible. He cost them that football game. Even in a win versus the Pats a couple weeks ago, he was really bad. Struggled to complete a pass. Dak, had some embarrassing performances against the Bills, but even more so against the Niners the first time they met. Brock Purdy had some disastrous performances against the Ravens and in their three-game skid. So anybody else you're going to hold him up to? Lamar was the dude who week in, week out, put his football team in positions to win, led good team offense, and so to me, he's clearly the MVP. The stress that he puts on defenses and the impact that that had on his team certainly exceeds the individual output that he has. And I'm good with that. 
My MVP doesn't need to have 40 touchdowns necessarily when he impacts the game at this level. You're exactly right. And the thing that I really want to hammer home about Lamar this year is the personal growth that we saw from him as a player. Uh, we had a Twitter space with Wolf the other day, uh, Wolf Financial, uh, does some sports spaces, does some financial spaces uh, as well. And he was talking about Lamar's mentality this year on how, you know, this team wasn't focused on awards. They weren't focused on mm-hmm. any of the exterior. You know, uh, he referenced Mark Ingram making big trus, woo-woo, which I still quote on the daily, man. Classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big trus. Big trus. Uh, that team, you know, Mark was focused a little bit on the MVP, on rewarding Lamar. This team is focused on winning football games, and they got it done. Lamar was focused on leading this team into battle and getting the yeah. job done week in, week out. And again, the stylistical difference to me is what makes this so impressive is Lamar averaged the most yards per attempt of his career. Uh, you know, it's only by .2 yards. That's a real metric. That's a real number that proves that Lamar was slinging it a little more this year. Again, that number isn't drastically different from his career high, but it's noticeable. Uh, Lamar mm-hmm. rushed for... 10 less rushing yards per game this season. You know, his career average is around 65 to 70. This year, he runs for 50 yards a game. It's just a different stylistical version of Lamar that led to the most team success, mm-hmm. arguably the best overall offense that they've ever had, the most dynamic offense that they've ever had, and it kept him injury-free the entire year. Like, yeah. the numbers don't jump off the page. The numbers aren't as good as his unanimous MVP season but I think this is the best version of Lamar Jackson that we've ever seen. And I think Lamar was head and shoulders the best quarterback in football. Another thing that, I, that really maddened me about this race, Carson, is every comment section I looked at when somebody said Lamar was the MVP as we got into the later weeks, nobody was saying Lamar was the MVP at midseason. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was I, not I, the consensus choice, but I think that he was the most popular choice. He was both of our choice. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I know a lot of the, a lot of the money was on Purdy, was on Jalen Hurts, McCaffrey, Tyreek Hill. There was a large contingency of NFL media saying that Lamar Jackson was MVP. This just didn't come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this was a year in which a lot of people, I would say, were wrongfully crowned as the favorite at various points. Brock Purdy was never playing football individually at the level of the MVP. He had a really good stretch, but there were too many flawed performances spattered throughout. Too much help in terms of the context. Tua, a lot of the same things apply. He never caught quite as much buzz, but definitely was still at the forefront of some of these conversations. And we saw him exposed and struggle against high-level competition and good defenses. So it was all of these dudes. Dak, when he had his moment and he ascended, then all of a sudden he blew it. Like Lamar was the dude who held on and who held up this level. For me, I will say Josh Allen would be second here because I still think he was an unbelievable one-man offense. 40-plus touchdowns for the fourth straight year. Just does so much to carry this Bills team, even with his mistakes. Who would be runner-up for you? That's a good question. I think because the Bills got the job done, I think I would go with Josh Allen. My, I would debate Tyreek Hill, but considering that the Dolphins didn't win the division, if the Dolphins did win the division, I think I would have given it to Tyreek. But I think I would give mm. it to Josh. But you're right. I think the complete difference maker between all of them is just Lamar's consistency. You're right. Yeah. Like Lamar never crapped his pants the way any of these other candidates did. You got Purdy's what was it, five turnover game against Baltimore? I mean, it was an abysmal performance. Josh's couple of duds, Dax duds. Lamar never had a dud. Yeah. 
Hilarious that you used the phrase crap his pants because remember that time that Lamar literally crapped his pants? No. Do you remember that? What? Yeah, he had like a Paul Pierce situation. He You're ran joking. into the locker room and then he came back out. Yeah. I can't believe you don't remember that. But you mentioned Tyreek, Logan, when you talk about MVP. He is certainly in the conversation for Offensive Player of the Year. Who is your pick there? Sorry, I'm kind of giggling because I just saw Lamar's poop run. That was that was pretty enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> my Offensive Player of the Year is going to be uh, Tyreek Hill. And it's it's a really tough race here. It's probably one of the toughest Offensive Player of the Year races that I can remember between Christian McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill. In an ideal world, we would go co-Offensive Player of the Year and we would just give it to both of these gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, both have immaculate statistical cases. Tyreek Hill led the NFL in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and receiving yards per game. McCaffrey leads the NFL in rushing yards, total scrimmage yards, and total touchdowns. And both of them, I think similarly, when you look at elevating their leader of their offense, their quarterback, I think both of them maximize and help yeah. uh, make the most of their guys under center. I don't think that to attack Vilo and Brock Purdy, these franchise MVP level quarterbacks, uh, if you have issue with that, please leave a comment. You know, let me know. I, I just don't. I, I mean, I just think we're in completely different boats. I don't think that Purdy and Tua are those kind of guys. I think they're active limiters of your offense. And so when you have these guys... Christian McCaffrey, I think the greatest receiving back I've ever seen. Marshall Falk might be number one. It's between them two for me in terms of greatest receiving backs ever. When you have that kind of release valve, it's invaluable to your team. So in the receiving game, he maximizes Brock, but he also makes Brock's job a lot easier with how effective he was running the football. Now, again, I think the San Francisco offensive line deserves an immense amount of credit too, especially uh, that left side, uh, the left guard position, and then big Trent Williams at left tackle. McCaffrey alleviates so much pressure off of his man. I'm slowly talking myself into McCaffrey almost. Yeah, just because say, of you're giving a nice little spiel here for CMC. Wow, just because of the two faces of the game. That's that's the, the the tough part is that he can take pressure off of Brock rushing the football and in the receiving game, and that might be my difference maker here. Wow, I talked myself out of it. I'm sorry, Tyreek. I think I will go McCaffrey as Opoy. Uh, Tyreek has the same game breaking weapon and that's the speed the speed factor and again I think he elevates his quarterback in a way that no other player in the NFL would be able to Tyreek speed is game breaking if you weaponize vertically horizontally diagonally whatever direction you want to weaponize Tyreek in he is an unsolvable you know an unstoppable chess piece he is just there's no real answer for him and again he maximizes a guy like Tua because if you're running a horizontal route a drag route or something like that Tua doesn't have to throw a deep ball on a rope to get it to Tyreek. You just get him and let him to go to work. It, both of these guys elevated their quarterbacks and their offenses in ways that very few players in the NFL do. I was going to go with Tyreek because of his speed, and I think he is the most game-breaking player in football. But I talked myself into it. Because of McCaffrey's multifacetedness, because of his dual impact, I think I'm going to give it to him because of how effective he was on the ground and through the air and how much pressure he took off of Purdy. Yeah, I want to do I want to do a co-offensive player of the year, but I'm going to give it to McCaffrey. This was definitely one of the most agonizing choices to make. I think there're two awards that stand out to me as being exceptionally close. This one and defensive player of the year where I'm excited for our conversation. What's interesting to me is at this stage when the NFL is so pass heavy and when it is so much a running back by committee approach. 
what is more exceptional? A truly great running back season like this from Christian McCaffrey or a truly great receiving season from Tyreek Hill? Because within the scope of NFL history, of course, CMC has the more total output, but Tyreek has the more historically rare stat line. CMC goes over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, gets 21 touchdowns. We've seen that 2K yards, 20 touchdown stat line 15 times before from running backs in the NFL. Tyreek gets 1799 yards, 13 touchdowns. We've only seen 1,700 receiving yards and that many touchdowns three times before. So within the scope of greatest seasons ever at their position, just in the vacuum of statistical output, Tyreek is in more rarefied air. But I think that it does come down to the dual impact. It's what you said. CMC was able to so consistently make his presence felt every single game in a multidimensional way. He did so with such unbelievable efficiency, 5.4 yards per carry. He was in the end zone almost every single game, either as a rusher or a receiver. He was a major scoring threat as both. And I do think that Tyreek's greatness transcends even what the raw numbers show because of the stress that he puts on a defense being the fastest player that I have ever seen on a football field. Now, I do think that he had some drops this year that were just kind of like, what are you doing, man? You would be perfect if your hands were at the level of most elite receivers. And you saw that in the Bills game. You saw that, of course, when he led to the pick six against the Chiefs. But he is one of the greatest receiving talents that I've ever seen. And he just had one of the greatest receiving seasons. But I think that McCaffrey's just constant presence in the game. Like Tyreek was still good down the home stretch of this season, but he did fade a bit. He didn't hit 100 yards in any of his last four games. Of course, he did miss the game to injury as well. CMC just every single game had such a pronounced impact that I lean him, but God, is it close. And I kind of can't believe that this isn't Tyreek's award because I was so sure that he was going to win, but he just slowed down at the end and CMC didn't at all and really only heated up agonizing i think is the right word carson in and choosing between these two guys and you talk about what a historic campaign is do you have the other names who have accomplished this 17 and 13 yes i do Stathead is failing to open the page it is cooper cup jerry rice and isaac bruce pretty tremendous company if i say so myself and pretty tremendous company considering Tyreek's consistency over the past few years, considering his one game-breaking trait, and considering that now he has another truly historic season under his belt, also the fact that he's doing this with Tua Tagovailoa instead of Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. I know we said this earlier in the year, Carson. I mean, for me, he has cemented himself as a top-five receiver of all time, I think, uh, in terms of peak. And again, in terms of peak, I agree. Yes, in terms of peak. Uh, I do want to be clear about that. Uh, let me be clear. Uh, yeah, you have to have the career totality that matter, that matters too, right? I'm not going to come out here mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say that James Lofton or Steve Largent are you know two of the greatest receivers of all time, but you know they're great. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of peak, I think it's Jerry, I think it's Randy, I think it's Calvin, I think it's AB, then I think it's Tyreek, and then I think it's probably Julio To for me. I think that I agree. Tyreek belongs in that top five. This is the interesting thing, though. Obviously, very special company that Tyreek holds. Only been done three times before. Also with CMC, yes, there are more names on that list. But since LT did it in 2006, so over the last 17 years, 
Only two other guys have hit that 2K20 touchdown mark, that being Jonathan Taylor and David Johnson. So we are no longer at the peak of running back volume, running backs putting up these sort of insane numbers, Mm -hmm. which is why I do think that it matters so much that CMC did hit this mark. I do want to ask too, did CMC, uh, he didn't do 1,000, 1,000 this year, did he? No, he didn't. He had only 564 receiving yards, but But almost 1,500 rushing. And... I don't know that he's at a top five running back peak of all time, but he's not far off, man. And in terms of that dual impact, it is only him and Marshall Falk. Mm-hmm. I agree. Although you totally snubbed Larry Centers. How do you not bring up Larry <laughs> Centers? Larry Centers is your goat receiving back. Own it. Own you're, it. You're right. Yeah. All right. So that was a tough one. Depoy Logan, also tough. I would bet a million dollars on where you're going, but who do you have? <laughs> Slog of the century, dude. You could not make your money back. You might make a penny if you bet a thousand dollars on who I'm taking for Depoy. Like negative a hundred thousand odds. Dun 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 It's TJ Watt, man. Who else mm-hmm. would it be? I give this spiel every year. TJ Watt has been my defensive player of the year for four or five straight seasons. Here we go. <laughs> uh he is the only player in NFL history to lead the NFL in sacks three times. Three mm-hmm. times. Three times. He did it yeah. three times. Nobody else has done it. And Carson, we have to make a stat correction. Uh, they're going re- to revoke my journalism card if we don't. Yeah. Uh, last episode, we said that TJ was one of three pass rushers in NFL history to record mm-hmm. three seasons of 19 or more sacks. Uh, Nerd Sash was unfortunately incorrect on that. I got my stats team on it. He is one of four. We unfortunately left a player out of that category. So TJ is one of four pass rushers in NFL history to record three seasons of 19 or more sacks. It's TJ now joining Mm -hmm. his brother, JJ, Mark Gastineau, who we noted on last episode, and Demarcus Ware. Demarcus Ware is the other gentleman who has done that uh, Yeah, can I issue another stat correction? Sure. Because we also talked about the greatest brother duos in sports history, and I mentioned the Assure brothers in squash, and then my dad texted me, and he said, if you want to go old school, Jahangir and John Khan are the all-time best pros in squash history. The all-time best pros. So there you go, a couple stat corrections. I'm sorry, Pierre has a squash bag? His squash bag goes deep. Dude, Pierre, first of all, has like a working knowledge of every single sport on the planet. He knows what's happening when the Cricket World Cup is going on, when the Rugby World Cup is going on. Sometimes this bro will be watching Takra. Like, he knows about everything. But squash is actually one of his loves. He's a really, really good squash player. Arguably better than tennis. They should get your dad to do the Dos Equis commercials, man. Pierre might be the most interesting (laughs) man in the world. That man is fascinating. He likes sports. He definitely likes sports. <laughs> the squash, the squash bag. That's that's a first for me. Uh, I said this last episode too, Carson. And again, I am prepared for backlash because uh, people don't like change and new things and uh, mm. spicy takes. Apparently, considering the fact that TJ broke the single season sack record, I will stand on that NFL. TJ owns that record, and this isn't just an issue that happened when TJ broke the single season sack record because he should hold it by himself. Mm -hmm. The NFL took sacks away from him this year. I think TJ had 20-plus this year, and they took sacks away from him in games. Conspiracy. Considering the totality of his career, again, I said this last episode too, I think TJ Watt has cemented himself as one of the greatest defensive players of all time. And if you don't put him with Lawrence Taylor, I completely understand. Lawrence Taylor was on a different level. His impact 
I think surpasses anybody I've ever seen. But when you're talking about everybody in the scope of NFL history, the greatest defensive players ever, when you're talking about Lawrence Taylor, when you're talking about Ray Lewis, when you're talking about Deacon Jones, Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, Deion Sanders, what have you, whoever is up there for you, T.J. Watt is in that top 10. He is on that short list. Shout out Derek Thomas. Uh, shout out Rod Woodson. I mean, there's a ton of great defensive players in NFL history. And I think T.J. Watt is top 10 for me. Having watched a lot of these guys, I would put TJ as my number two, but I think he's deservedly top 10, man. He's done this too damn long, too consistently. He has single-handedly won games. He makes big-time yeah. plays. TJ's unstoppable to me. He is the second greatest defensive player I've ever watched. It's honestly really close between him and JJ. I think that they're both top five in terms of peak, which is just unfathomable but like the peak sack production that we've seen from the two of them is effectively unrivaled you read off the shortlist there and tj's advantage over jj hopefully is that he's able to sustain that level of play for longer he already has but hopefully continues to be healthy and it's been officially announced that he's not going to play against the bills which sucks that's going to be a 50 burger the bills hang on them but i have so much respect for him i know we are going to see we are going to see I'm actually going with Miles Garrett here, though. I think it's really, really, really close. Yeah, go ahead, boo. Go ahead, boo. I expected that you would. So, you cannot deny the big play production from TJ. 19 sacks is unbelievable. Four defensive takeaways between three fumble recoveries and an interception and a defensive touchdown. Eight passes defended. Like, he really does swing games with those single plays. I would say more than anybody else in the NFL today. But I think that Miles Garrett's play-to-play -play impact that maybe doesn't show up as much on the traditional stat sheet slightly exceeded TJ's this year. If you look at pass rush stats, he had a 30% win rate with a 29% double team rate. Both of those towards the very top of the league, only trailing Micah Parsons. I think that he was the more impactful run defender. And I think that those pass rush numbers speak to the fact that he ate up so much attention and I would say helped his teammates thrive more TJ wasn't doubled at nearly the same rate only 14 percent and Miles Garrett did that empowering a team defense that was dominant that ranked number one in the league in yards allowed per drive they ranked number two in the league in points allowed per drive so it's crazy crazy close and I do think that TJ has that big play advantage but I think the overall attention that was consumed and impact on team defense because of that is marginally greater for miles garrett i have no issue going either way i think both these dudes if they continue to play at this level are going to be like the two guys mm -hmm. every single year it's insane that miles garrett doesn't have one yet and yeah. it's honestly sort of surprising even that tj only has the one i completely agree and i have no issue with you taking miles garrett i completely understand where you're coming from and the advanced numbers are uh, staggering when you do look at the double team uh, percentages mm -hmm. and stuff like that. The one difference for me, I think the Browns had an overall better defense around Miles Garrett, and they still mustered the number 13 scoring defense. 80% of the starting Steelers' defense was out, and yet they still ended up being the number six scoring defense, and I have to reward TJ for that. I, I get what you're saying because I think Miles did empower uh, the guys around him uh, to play better football. But considering the circumstances around TJ that, I mean, we literally don't have mo the majority of our starting defense out there, and we still were the number six defense. I mean, 
Minka Fitzpatrick is missing half the year. He's the best safety in the league. The the Steelers' defense overcame a lot, and for them to still end up right there, I think a lot of that credit goes to to TJ Watt. I understand that, and I consider that as well. The one thing that I will say though is the like just bottom line scoring defense for the Browns doesn't reflect how dominant they were. And that's Mm -hmm. why I gave the yards and points allowed per drive. The Browns had the most turnovers in football this Mm -hmm. year. They turned the ball over 37 times. Their offense until Joe Flacco got there was totally anemic. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the year, still 28th in yards per drive. So, so much of that is contextual short ass fields, Mm -hmm. just basically free points gifted to the opposing team by your offense in terms of play-to-play production that Browns defense was elite and was better than the Steelers this year but I totally see your case I think that it's crazy close and people who try to dismiss either side here I think are just totally off base okay offensive rookie of the year Logan who you got I regurgitated a lot of the T.J. Watt stats. I'm going to regurgitate a lot of the C.J. Stroud stats that sure. I gave last episode. 12 QBs have started 13 or more games in their rookie campaign and led their team to the playoffs. C.J. Stroud is one of the 12. He's one of the eight quarterbacks to go from worst to first in his division. He has the second most passing yards per game by a rookie outside of Justin Herbert with 273 per game. And he's got the fifth most passing touchdowns ever by a rookie with 25 I, we said it last episode, uh, if you missed it. I, I think that C.J. Stroud's the greatest rookie quarterback ever. Uh, Carson, mm-hmm. did you agree? I did agree. It's it's everything. Like I, You know what I mean? We always try to pinpoint the one. The one thing that I said that I thought that made C.J. Stroud special is his point guard feel. The, the, mm-hmm. you know, the thing they always touted about Bryce Young that the Panthers were talking about to justify the draft pick, the control the the way he's always looking downfield and you always have to be weary that the big plays looming and the fact that he can do it under duress he can do it from anywhere standing in the pocket that his arm is legit legitimately live enough to make any of those crazy out of structure throws that Mm -hmm. again i think bobby slowick who I, i cross my fingers stays with cj because i think they really have something special together and that's something that I know that a lot of offensive coordinators, it's like the natural progression. Uh, there's certain guys like a Joe Brady. You know, this is a hypothetical. Uh, mm-hmm. Say somebody wanted to hire Joe Brady as a head coach. I'm just saying no. You know what I mean? I get to I get to play with Josh Allen every day or Todd Munkin. If somebody offered mm-hmm. Todd Munkin a head coaching job, I'm just going to tell him no. I get Lamar every day that I go to work. You know what I mean? There's just some things yeah. that are invaluable, and I think it is a really – mutually beneficial relationship that Bobby Slowick and C.J. Stroud have, and I would love to see them build on it. So I want to give him some credit, too, because it is hard bringing a rookie up to speed, getting him ready to go, and I think they were hand-in-hand the reasons they were so successful. But, yeah, the poise, the control, the arm talent, everything points to C.J. Stroud being a franchise quarterback, and he is the greatest rookie QB ever. This is a no-brainer. You know, it's normally a QB award, uh, and... CJ's the best rookie QB ever. Yeah, I totally agree. You cannot deny that level of impact from by so far the most important position on the field. And we had a brief conversation on our last show about why we both felt that CJ was the GOAT rookie QB. And then I went and I actually made a TikTok for the volume on my top five. So I'll just quickly summarize the other candidates. In the five spot, I had Dan Marino. 
who I believe is the only rookie ever to be an all-pro selection. He was second team, but he beat out Joe Montana for that spot, playing just nine games, but they were 7-2. and two. He had 20 touchdowns to six picks. Game to game makes a case for being number one, but I can't have you there when you played barely half the season. At number four, I have RG3. I know that you tend to bring Andrew Luck up before him in these conversations, Logan, but RG3 oh. led a top-five oh, offense man. that year. Without great skill position talent, mm. they won five games the year before he got him to 10. And this is an unbelievable stat. His efficiency all around was crazy. 27 total touchdowns to seven mm -hmm. turnovers. He led the league in passing yards per attempt and rushing yards per yeah. attempt. Logan, as a rookie, disgusting, has to be here. Cam, to me, is the slightly more dominant version of that one-man offense. He took a group that was even less talented. It was the... Number 32 scoring offense the year before made them a top five scoring offense, contributed 4,800 total yards, 35 total touchdowns. Yes, he wasn't the most polished passer yet, and he threw too many picks. That's the only reason that he isn't, to me, above Herbert or Stroud. He was a greater one-man offense, but those dudes were just immediately elite passers, and I do think that it matters to have that multi-dimensional aspect to your game and to be elite at the most important thing for a quarterback. Then you have Herbert. And I think that C.J. Stroud has surpassed all of them. And his pure touchdown production isn't necessarily going to be at the level of Herbert and Cam. Those guys had 35-plus total touchdowns. But C.J. Stroud, you mentioned, second in terms of passing yards per game for a rookie ever. He's also second in passing yards per attempt. And he led the league in passing yards per game this year because there was a bit more of a passing and offensive boom when Herbert came into the league. Offense was down this year. C.J. per game was the most productive passer in the NFL and he had the lowest interception percentage in the league. So I talked about a lot of this as well, but I think the explosiveness that you saw from him as a deep ball passer combined with the poise, the elite clutch performance, just the faith that you have in him to make a big play at any moment, to hang in the pocket, make big time throws, and doing so in such meaningful situations, leading his team to the playoffs after they were a three-win team last year. I just think it's an unbelievable rookie campaign, and he really felt like an elite vet this entire year. That is rare. Now, we have to shout out Puka Nakua here because there are people making a case for him who are saying, hey, this guy just set the rookie receiving yards record. Bill Groman fell. Me, Bill, Bill Groman, Groman fell. Bill Groman fell. Pre-merger legend Bill Groman no longer holds the record that he has had a stranglehold on for so long. But still, I think... It's definitely not the GOAT rookie receiver season. To me, Jamar and Randy were way more of scoring threats who had these elite yardage seasons, but then 13 touchdowns for Jamar, 17 for Randy. Just superior athletic talents, obviously. OBJ had 109 yards per game and a touchdown per game. He just got hurt. Otherwise, he would have the record. I think Jettis was better, clearly, just a few years ago. So, yes, he has the yardage record, and it's an unbelievable story. And all of those other guys who we're talking about were at least first rounders, right? Were really hyped up receiving talents. And Puka totally defies that standard. Like he had an awesome season. But if Stroud had the better historical year relative to position at the quarterback position, there's just no case against that guy to me. And like you said too, uh, I think you made a really good point with the, the veteran composure and feel that you got with Stroud per game, but also the... The classic moments, which I feel like mm -hmm. can get lost. You talked about it, the final games. I mean, the thing that I remember from C.J. Stroud's campaign is him stealing that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right at the end. I mean, yeah. a, a monumental win. And there were a lot of 
classic late game scenarios that we got from CJ. last week. Yeah, I, exactly. Like, and I mean, throughout this season, it was clutch drive, clutch drive. No moment felt ever too big yep. uh, for CJ Stroud, man. And I wanted to ask you as a follow up question, really quick, before we move on to the next award. Mm-hmm. Considering that, contextualizing with offense down, how dominant he was, how efficient he was, yeah. was CJ on the short list for MVP for you? It's a good question. So Josh would be my number two. I think that CJ is somewhere around fifth on my ballot. Mm-hmm. But I think that he did make a case because he produced at that volume and that efficiency and led to that level of team success with good play calling, no question, and better receiving talent than we anticipated, but still not the sort of overwhelming advantages that a lot of the other MVP front runners, just based on statistical production, mm-hmm. did have. And so he certainly elevated the guys around him in a way that is incredibly, incredibly rare for any quarterback, much less a rookie. And he does belong on that short list. Would be really tough to make a case for him over Lamar, but he is definitely one of the honorable mentions. Speaking of honorable mentions, I do want to shout out Bijan Robinson because even for all the talk of misutilization and lack of touches, he's one of 20 dudes to hit 1450 yards from scrimmage this century as a rookie. Really, really strong campaign. Doesn't make a case over CJ, but that dude, like when he does touch the ball is so special. I think already such an elite running back. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can bet just 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, let's go to the other side of the ball, Logan. Defensive Rookie of the Year. Who you got? I went with my guy, Devin Witherspoon. Oh, uh, I've stuck wow. with him throughout this season. And point blank, Devin Witherspoon's one of the best rookie cornerbacks that I've ever seen. And this was, I thought, a, 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 in the scope of everybody that we got in this draft class, I thought was a really good defensive rookie class. The fact yeah. that... You know, Will Anderson came in here and balled like this. Uh, yeah. Brian Branch, uh, the guy for the Eagles. Uh, Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter, yeah. Um, and I wanted to give an honorable mention, too, to a Steeler, uh, PZ Jr., home run by the Steelers. He is a bona fide number one corner. I thought about him. He's really long. Uh, the one knock, and the reason that I couldn't give it to him over Witherspoon, to me, was the penalizations. There were a lot of plays this year where... They would pick on Peasy, and Peasy would have his head turned, and he'd get a little grabby. And Ben uh, made a great point on his podcast. Peasy's got to stop wearing those bright yellow gloves, man. He got called for all those hold and PIs. Duh, they can see it. It sticks out like a sore thumb on those jerseys. Uh, it was the thing that Chief uh, Edelman was talking about, too, with Belichick. Hey, Edelman, jackass, stop wearing the red gloves. If Peasy does that, I think he'll get penalized uh, a lot less. But 
he was phenomenal this year and stepped into a our defense took a step up once PZ Jr. and Broderick Jones stepped in as starters. Uh, great job by the Steelers rookie draft class and PZ is on my short list, but Devin Witherspoon is among the best rookie cornerbacks I've ever seen and he has some classic moments, you know, he's got the the big play against the Giants, some forced fumbles uh in 14 games this year. He's got a pick, uh, which was a pick six. He's got the forced fumble. 16 pass breakups. The difference for me, though, was the tackling. Holy shit. I've never seen a corner. That guy plays with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, He laid out a Steelers running back in the backfield uh, in our game and slammed him. Very few DBs and cornerbacks play with this kind of aggression and are so great open field tacklers, right? I mean, there's just not a hole in Witherspoon's game. I think you could slide him over to safety and he would be just as effective. Witherspoon had 79 tackles in 14 games this year, eight of them for a loss, and he had three sacks. Like, there's just not a hole in the kid's game. He was all over box scores, all over the field, all over the tape. This was a great defensive rookie class, and I can kind of see... I don't really have any issue if you take any of the other guys, but Witherspoon to me is one of the best rookie corners I ever saw. He's going to the Pro Bowl this year too, and I think it's I think it's well deserved. Uh, yeah, Witherspoon to me is uh, is the defensive rookie of the year. I have no problem with Witherspoon, and he was your guy when we did this midseason. I have flipped from my midseason pick. I took Jalen Carter at that point. And now I am going to go Will Anderson here. I think he had an Mm. unbelievably strong second half of the season. The production picked up. And we talk about some of those pass rushing stats. It is unbelievable how he already stacks up against the elite players at the edge position. He was third in edge pass rush win rate behind only Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett this year. Wow. Ridiculous. And he was second in edge run stop win rate behind only Max Crosby. The dude just balled out. He was crucial to a defense that overachieved and ended up being quite good. And when I do compare him to Jalen Carter, I just think he was more essential. And he produced more like one of the league's elite edges, but Carter has these overwhelming physical tools, of course, and was really productive on a per-snap basis. But at the end of the day, is part of a very stacked rotation of Eagles defensive linemen. Will Anderson immediately had to be essential for this team. And he was, and he drove a pass rush that really overachieved and balled out. So to me, he is the pick here. And yes, I'm going Texans on both sides of the ball. And I may not be done with the Texans yet, Logan. I may not be done with the Texans yet. Ooh-wee. That kind of fires me up a little bit. I want to add uh, some some context to some of the uh, stats I alluded to earlier. Shout out another Texan on this list. Uh, Second-year man, Derek Stingley. Fourth best, Mm -hmm. uh, fourth lowest completion percentage allowed this season, 47.9. I I, want to just shout out these rookies so much. Uh, Tenth lowest completion percentage allowed, PZ Jr., 49.2%. That's across the entire league. Uh, Coming in at number... Uh, 29 is Devin Witherspoon at 55.1% allowed. Uh, near him is Deontay Banks, rookie for the Giants. Like, this was a phenomenal rookie class. Uh, in for sure. It's especially the DBs, man. I know this was a loaded corner class, but to come in here and do that, I, I don't think, like, corner to me is the toughest position in the NFL. To come in here and be that effective as a rookie is truly, truly remarkable. Yeah, no doubt it's an awesome season for him. Let's go from the dudes who are coming on strong to the dudes who are coming back, Logan. Who's your comeback player of the year? 
My comeback player of the year is a very basic choice. I'm giving it to DeMar Hamlin. I mean, I know a lot of people, I saw a lot of hate towards DeMar Hamlin that really hurt my heart and soul uh, as a football fan. I mean, that was one of the most frightening moments I've ever seen on a football field. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, they canceled the game. This guy came back from... DeMar Hamlin passed away. I don't get how you could hate on a guy that passed away and came back. And I don't... If you don't want to give him comeback player of the year, that's one thing. But don't hate on the man because he's not getting snaps and because because you want to put in a parlay for comeback player of the year and you don't like your odds or it might hit and it might sink your boat. I don't know how you could hate on DeMar Hamlin. That's the one thing that's really plucked my nerves about this is, oh, we got to give it to this guy. First of all, it's a pointless award. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's a... It's an award for a sport. It's not that deep. Two, it's like, again, the guy passed away and came back, man. How can you be mad at him? I would give it to DeMar. The fact that he is still on an NFL roster and still willing to get back on the football field, to me, uh, is more than enough. Uh, there are a lot of great candidates this year. I wouldn't look any further. He lived. He survived. He's here. That's enough. DeMar's still on a football team. That takes balls, even that, man. Uh, I'd give it to DeMar. Yeah. I'm totally good with that. I think that that's a perfectly reasonable case. And I think that the consensus preseason was that this was just going to be DeMar's award because you're right. It really doesn't matter. It's sort of a made up arbitrary award. It doesn't speak to performance. It's not like the MVP or any of these other awards in that sense. And so just having such a compelling hurdle to overcome and to get back on the football field at all is a perfectly good reason. And if you're hating on DeMar Hamlin, you're a loser. And people find a way to hate on literally everyone and everything, whether they think that they're being funny or whether they're just genuinely that negative and upset or whatever. It's inexplicable. People will find a way to say that sort of stuff about literally everything. I don't have DeMar as my choice just because I think that Joe Flacco made a really awesome comeback case of his own and did it with a high level of impact on the football field. Like a dude who will be 39 <laughs> next week coming off of his couch, happily retired, hadn't started five games in a season since 2019. That dude walks in and averages 323 yards per game, gives you 13 touchdowns and a four and one record in five starts, pushes you into the playoffs, solves what has been by far your biggest issue this entire season with resounding results. That's just awesome. And I'm totally good with rewarding either one of these, but Flacco made this at least a decision, whereas previously there was nobody else who was going to push DeMar for this award. And I will have no problem if DeMar gets it. Joe Flacco couldn't start for the Jets last year. Yeah, dude. Zach Wilson. They called in a fella named Chris Strevler. Like, these were the dudes playing the quarterback position. And now here's Flacco, and I mean, he produced over those half games like an elite quarterback. I don't think he's at that level, but the production was incredible. Baker Mayfield, any love for you here, Logan? Your guy? I will take a man. I mean, yeah. I feel like I was the only guy rooting for Baker, man. I looked back at that video that we posted on IG, and there was just so much, so much negativity surrounding Baker. No, I mean, he'd be on my short list, I guess. Probably top five, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, he got cut from... The Browns let him walk off of a shoulder injury. 
Mm-hmm. The Panthers, the Rams, it was a disaster, man. It really is a big bounce back for him. Uh, if he had played a little better, I think the Joe, I think Joe and Demar are just better stories. Yeah, I don't think that Baker really is a case here, but I will let you know, Logan. It's not looking good for him this weekend. I dreamt last night that he had a bit of a playoff flop, and all the discourse was about how Baker had actually gotten overrated throughout the course of the season. And those who had held strong and said, this guy's still not that good, those people were actually proven correct. This was in my dream last night. I'm not quite fond of that of that dream. Could you, like, like do it over yeah. again tonight? Maybe, like, dream that he, like, throws for four TDs and 400 yards? Yeah. Well, look, personally, I'm actually hoping that my dreams aren't all too accurate to life because I was awoken in a horrifying fashion just the night before being brutally stabbed to death. So you never know with these things, right? Coach of the year, Logan, who you got? <laughs> the comedic timing was impeccable. It's true, dude. It was the single scariest dream of my life. I shot awake. I won't share the details of how it came to be because I think they might horrify our audience. Yeah, I, I really hope those aren't premonitions. I'm really God, hoping hope those not. are not. The yeah. only reason but the, I well, say the Baker is... one, the Baker one, yes, I'm hoping okay. that one is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I say that is I don't know if if the audience saw it. There was this one uh, clip I saw going around on social media where this guy dreamt in like week one or he tweeted out that Darius Slayton was going to have 18 points during the fantasy championships and Darius Slayton who I think had maybe eight points in his best week throughout the season (laughs) had 18 points exactly in the fantasy championship so that was me that was me too there is merit to some football dreams I'm going back to the well too Carson you might be pulling out another Texan out your pocket I'm pulling another Pittsburgh Steeler out my pocket I think this is Mike Tomlin's year to win coach of the year. Uh, The circumstances were insane. And what he had to withstand this year and to persevere through to make the playoffs is uh, unbelievable. Uh, Mm -hmm. Significant injuries to his defense. The Pittsburgh Steelers were down three linebackers. I harped on it throughout the start of this year that if the Steelers were going to make a deep playoff run, it was going to be because of the difference in play that we'd seen in our linebackers. That's been the weakest position for the Pittsburgh Steelers since Ryan Shazier uh, suffered that horrible neck injury uh, and mm-hmm. got paralyzed. The linebacking room just has not been the same. And this year was the best it had been ever. We got Cole Holcomb. We bring in Alandon Roberts, Quan Alexander, great run stoppers, great tacklers, and good enough in pass coverage to get by. All three of those guys go out. We lose five defensive backs. Corey Trice, who was awesome this year in the slot. Keanu Neal, who was awesome at safety. Demonte KZ got suspended for a hit that I've never seen before. Got suspended the rest of the year after Gardner Minshew set up his wide receiver. Any experienced quarterback does not throw that football. That is a death sentence for your receiver. And they suspended KZ for the entire season on a hit that was completely made. Because Gardner Minshew tried to pigeon, well, tried to fit that ball in there. Just context. First of all, was still a dangerous hit. Also, the punishment was uh, severe because of the track record throughout the season. And he is back now, right? I think it was just for the last three games of the regular season. Uh, I thought he's been I, reinstated. I will check. I was under the impression that he was suspended for the entire season. No. Uh, he will return uh, for the yeah. playoffs. So go. that's good. But again, we miss him for a majority of the season. He's been playing great. Uh, uh, we lose Trenton Thompson, too, who had been playing well. And then the fifth guy 
is the second best defender on this Pittsburgh Steelers defense and the best safety in the league to me. And make of Fitzpatrick, he only plays half the season. And yeah. still, Mike Tomlin, a defensive-minded coach, turned a completely shattered defense into the number six scoring defense in football. The strength of the Pittsburgh Steelers team. Yeah. And then he withstands an injury to his starting quarterback. We have to we have to go through three games of Mitch Trubisky starting at quarterback, and we still get into the playoffs at ten and seven. Bottom line, this is the most impressed I've ever been with Mike Tomlin. And to you, Mike, I once again apologize. I have doubted you so many times. I'm done. I this is even more impressive to me than the eight and eight campaign than with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. The Pittsburgh Steelers may not win a playoff game. Uh, this year, we may get trounced by the Buffalo Bills. To me, that has uh, no effect on, on this award to me. This is the most impressed I've ever been with Mike Tomlin, and he truly, truly overcame the odds in a way that uh, I've never seen from Mike. Dude, I'm sort of baffled. I'm just looking at Coach of the Year history here because I was thinking 2019, 2020, 2021, or last year too. Like He must have been close pretty much all of those seasons. And the only time that he registered at all, he was 10th last year. And then he was 5th back in the Duck Hodges season 2019. That's kind of unbelievable yeah, right? to me. When you consider the overachievement with really low talent level. Like 2020, dude, I know that they ended up getting exposed as massive frauds. But that team started 11-0. and 0. And then 2022 and 2019, you're making playoff pushes with just like really 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 bad quarterback play this year is just another version of that same case and it is ridiculous to me that Tomlin has never been coach of the year I don't think that there's a better floor raiser in the NFL today honestly it's not close I mean that is exactly what his streak speaks to right he is going to make you a competitive respectable average football team at least no matter what that being said I just want more for you Logan Watching you as a Steelers fan, I feel that you're stuck somewhere in a more archaic version of the game where teams put up 17 points per game. It's awesome. And the goal is to win nine games and then just get really dominated in the playoffs. And I want more for you. And I don't hold that against Mike Tomlin because he's making the most of this situation. But I just think when the offense comes around, you're going to find such a joy in the game. And there are better things. And I don't know if I can reward Mike Tomlin in this eternal, not mediocrity, because it's a bit better than that, but... And I wouldn't normally reward Mike Tomlin for a midseason, because this is what he does. But the circumstances, to me, were so overwhelming and pointed to them, you know, whiffing. And I do want more. Uh, I do think the way the Steelers play games is awesome. It's so unique. Uh, What's sad is... We did have that with Ben, Bell, and A.B., and Martavis Bryan, and Boswell, and the timelines just didn't match up. The defense that the Steelers have built now Mm -hmm. was what they were supposed to have when we had the Killer Bees. It just, it never quite lined up, and ironically, I feel like that may happen with the offense. As the offense finds its gear, the defense may slowly start being aged out, but Mm. like I said, this year is the most impressed I've ever been with, with, with Tomlin, man, and hey, we may not win... A playoff game, but there is a chance. And if we have a Mason Rudolph legacy game, it could be in store, man. Don't feel too bad. We could upset the Bills. Yeah, well, uh, when this offense has figured things out, I fear that TJ Watt is going to be 45 years old. So we'll see what level he's playing at at that point. Tomlin is my number two because 
there's no question he made the most of this and did overcome adverse circumstances and all that. But I am going to Miko Ryans here. I have three Houston Texans winning awards. I think this is the team that overachieved most, and there's a clear offensive driving factor in CJ Stroud. I think that Will Anderson was awesome for a defensive rookie. And I also think you have to give D'Amico credit for the overarching success of this team and for the culture. This was really a team of underdogs. They won three games last year. But if you just look at the composition of the roster, Devin Singletary, discarded by the Bills, he's your RB1. The receiving core was a couple of young third-rounders, Nico Collins and Tank Dell, guys who ended up being quite good but were not super highly regarded coming into the year. And then, like, the Cowboys discards. You get Dalton Schultz, you get Noah Brown. All those guys play really well for the Texans. C.J. Stroud, even, was picked second behind Bryce Young, who it turns out he's way better than. And he was doubted because of the elite talent that he played with in college, and even more so because of a historical pattern with Ohio State quarterbacks who are bolstered by that sort of elite talent. And I think that that led to people at times diminishing the obvious strengths that he did have, that he did have the physical tools, that he did have this elite accuracy and presence, and that we saw his athleticism in that game against Georgia. Like, all of these special things that he did, some people played down because of the helmet that he wore. And then D'Amico took a defense without any big-name established stars, reliant on some key young dudes, balling out, Stingley, Will Anderson, Jonathan Greenard ended up being great. He's another young guy on this defense. And they did. They all stepped up. And I think that D'Amico deserves a ton of credit for that. He's a great defensive coach. And that turned into the league's number 11 scoring defense and one of its most effective pass rushes. Bobby Slowick absolutely deserves credit here, too, for what he did offensively. But I think that what D'Amico did with this defense as a motivator, as an overall symbol for the mentality of this team, they overachieved preseason expectations more than anybody else. And to do that with a team that is so young is all the more exceptional. And I do think, to me, has to be rewarded. If I am picking between the two floor-raising cases, I think that what Houston did was even more impressive than what Pittsburgh did. I would agree almost wholeheartedly. I do think they over... uh, I think they outperformed expectations more than any other team, but... That being said, considering that the Steelers play in the AFC North and the Texans play in the AFC South, that's the only point I'd push back against. It's just that I think that Texans did have a slightly easier path being able to play against, you know, their in-division teams versus the yeah, uh, Steelers' but, schedule. But D'Amico but would if be— the Steelers—Logan, I don't mean to rain on the parade, but if the Steelers play the actual Baltimore Ravens, they're not in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Week 18. For so, sure. And like, wait, no, 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 actually, no, dude, we, the Cardinals dude, we dog Lamar. We, the Ravens do not want to see the Steelers in the play. Lamar's, I don't think Lamar is, has Lamar ever won a game against the Steelers? Yes. Earlier this season, he beat the Steelers. No, he didn't. He lost 10 to 17. Oh, you're so right. He's definitely beaten them at some point. I, I think once or twice. Wow. There's no way. Yeah. Oh, I guess Lamar's say. been hurt so much. He's only two and four. He's just mm. been hurt. Yeah. Now I will say, Logan, also head to head, Texans gave the Steelers a good old fashioned whooping. Mm, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. The other thing is they may end with the same record. The Texans were just a much better actual football team this year. Like the Steelers, we talked about how rare it's been to make the playoffs with a point differential as negative as theirs. The Texans had really high highs where they were actually going out there and beating some good teams. I think that it was the overall more <laughs> impressive season. But 
Tomlin deserves to be here. Stefanski also deserves to be here with the yeah. AFC North. Hell yeah. Had to overcome so much. Dude, Conklin so injury, Chubb injury, Deshaun sucked and then got hurt. Having to ultimately turn to Joe Flacco. But what I'll say here is, of course, coordinators are often going to deserve some credit as well. But I feel like especially here, what Jim Schwartz did with this defense, that was the driving factor in this team's success. I was going to say on the short list of like guys that, that deserve credit this year, uh, Harbaugh for the Ravens, I think deserves a ton of credit uh, year in, year out. Considering their the expectations, I wouldn't give it to him. I think Dan Campbell getting the Lions to win the North for the first time in 30 years, uh, going 12-5. and five. Uh, Honestly, uh, LaFleur for the Packers. Uh, McVay mm-hmm. overachieving with the Rams. Totally. Um, I'm trying to think about other guys that I would Did you I mention have Steichen? No, Steichen too, dude. Losing Anthony Richardson early, trusting in the corked-up white boy, yeah. uh, Gardner Minshew. There's a, there's a lot of coaches on, on my short list that deserve an immense amount of credit. Uh, yeah, it's a really strong year for Coach of the Year, I feel. Yeah, always an interesting award. I think that Stefanski is probably going to get it, but I would go I'm, to I'm, You know what, I'm, I'm cool with that too. I'm, I'm very cool with that. I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it. But Joe's my comeback player of the year, so I'm giving him more of the credit. All right, Logan, when we talk about some of the best coaches in the league, before we get out of here, we're done with the awards, but... We are going to talk a little bit about some of the news that is coming out about some coach firings, dudes who got let go after week 18. What did you make of Arthur Smith's reign of terror in Atlanta finally ending, Logan? Where do you want him to go from here? Bye, Arthur. Yeah, see ya. Bye, Arthur. Yeah. Yeah, um... see ya. Have fun hanging out with DW, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? Glasses, four-eyed freak. Wow. That's a deep cut, man. I was not expecting the anteater pull today. Wow. That's what I do, bro. You're really letting that one sink in. <laughs> You're pondering it. No, no. I'm really just thinking about how Atlanta managed to go 7-10 and 10 while being one of the most talented rosters in the National Football League. Wow. Somebody's going to walk in here and win the NFC South uh, with the Falcons next season. I would put my money on it. I mean... I think it is a no-brainer bet for me that the Falcons are going to win the division next season. Derek Carr or whoever the Saints go with, the Saints are getting old. Coaching staff is eh. Quarterback is up in the air. Okay. Panthers are going to suck. They have David Tepper as their owner. They're probably going to stink for the next decade. Okay. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, wildly overachieved. Baker Mayfield will likely regress to a means next season um, and play, you know, a little worse, which means... The Falcons are going to have a really good opportunity. I mean, I think the recipe is really simple for Atlanta. Go out, get Justin Fields, turn your offense up a notch, get an offensive mind, bring him in there, pay him whatever he needs. The Falcons are stupid talented. When you're talking about skill position guys, Bijan, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, uh, insane. That's kind of where it ends. On on defense, too. They've got, you know, Jesse Bates, like the... Their team is really talented. The offensive line is one of the best. And like, it is insane to me that Arthur Smith underachieved this much. It's one of the most talented rosters, I think, in the league. And so, whoever comes in here, a good riddance to Arthur Smith. I think he underachieved year in, year out with them. Went 7-10 and 10 every year with them. And ironically, I think that if Arthur Smith had started Taylor Heineke from the start of the year, I think the Falcons win the South and he would still have a job ironically enough also really funny to me that you're complaining about getting drubbed by 30 points in your last it just makes you look like a jackass i don't care that dennis allen told you he was going into victory formation and they confirmed bro you got beat by 30 what kind of point does it make that if you if they get another one you you got drubbed be butthurt buddy 
here's my take on that. Here's my take on that. Lining up in the victory formation to do it is just kind of disrespectful to the entire notion that that is both teams conceding. Okay, the game is over. The defense is going to let up, right? Nobody is trying to play with physicality. Nobody's expecting to be hit with physicality. Like, everybody is supposed to let up there, and then you go out there and run an actual football play. Like, if they just went for it straight up, I'd be okay with it. Of course, they had to dupe their own coach so that he didn't realize that they were doing that because I guess that's what happens when you put famous Jameis at the helm. I didn't like the the deception of it. To me, that did feel like a bit much, but Arthur Smith sucks, so whatever. El Bozo, get out of here. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> yeah. He was an extremely frustrating football coach, of course, and I think the clear path here is just bring in a better offensive mind if it's ben johnson who i think is actually a perfect fit if he wants to take this step up because he's already done the job play calling for a run heavy scheme like the falcons are going to maintain because of their line and their strength at the running back position but then he brings a far more creative version of it and if you can get a quarterback in there as well like they could take the leap quick man you make the Heineke point, I don't know. That's not even a mid-off Heineke versus Ritter. That's just depressing to think that those are your two options for an entire season. So I don't know if Ben Johnson would take this job, though, because he, along with Jim Harbaugh, those are probably going to be the top two candidates. Now that Vrabel's on the market as well, which we'll talk about, he will be as well. And the Falcons may not be the most intriguing situation, but it is a pretty good situation because if you get your quarterback in there, and then you actually stop screwing around and make Bijan your clear RB1 instead of having him split carries with Algier evenly, and you actually utilize Drake London and Kyle Pitts to their utmost potential instead of using them as decoys more than anybody else, you can get Jonu Smith and Matt Collins open, then I think that this is a team that definitely has the potential to take a leap to 10 wins or whatever next season. But there are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More surprising, Logan, than Arthur Smith, who I think everybody wanted gone and expected gone, is that the Titans have parted ways with Mike Vrabel. What's your take on that? Pretty shocking, honestly, uh, especially considering where the Tennessee Titans were coming from when Vrabel took over and considering the heights that he took them to. Uh, Vrabel notched four straight winning seasons with Tennessee. Uh, you know, he clinched a number one seed with this team. You know, I mean, and I don't, I think those teams for the most part overachieved. Now, granted, I mean, it's on the back of Derrick Henry dominating, being one of the most unstoppable forces, but he's winning games like that with Ryan Tannehill with pretty average rosters. You know what I mean? I don't think that the talent level was overwhelming to the point where it's like, oh, it's just Vrabel. And like, I I really like him as a, as a culture setter, as a leader of men. I mean, again, this is a guy who played the game. He played for two of the, uh, three of the most storied franchises in NFL history, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New England Patriots, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Vrabel gets it. He just, he's a football guy that gets it. And I feel like I would enjoy playing for a guy like that. A guy guy that I would run through a wall for Mike. And so that is where I don't understand it. I feel like you're going to have to build from the ground up, but that's what this signals to me. If you're ready to let a guy like Tennessee go, or excuse me, uh, if Tennessee's ready to let a guy like Mike Vrabel go, to me, it would be like Buffalo letting McDermott go, or, or it's, it's a little different. And I'll explain why. Vrabel is better, but you know, I think the Bills are going to be able to contend with whoever they bring in because they have Josh Allen. And if the Steelers let Mike Tomlin, it would be more similar to the Steelers letting Mike Tomlin go, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is it signals to me that Tennessee is ready for a full launch into a rebuild. Under Will Levis, they're going to probably stink next year. It's going to be the year to determine if Will Levis is your guy, which kind of sucks for him because I just like when there's more established situations for young guys. It's hard for them to to build it up. But this signals to me, Carson, that the Titans are going to go out and get an offensive guy for Will Levis. That's the only thing that it signals to me. Defensive head coaches are great at establishing cultures. They're great at turning young guys into great defenders. Take a look at what D'Amico Ryans did. But it's hard to maximize your defense. And with a young quarterback, I think they're looking for a young offensive mind to bring in and lead the team. I still wouldn't have done it if I was Tennessee. And the reason I say that, though, is because... I don't really know who's a better candidate for the job, Carson. Do you think that there's anybody that really sticks out to you? I mean, I think Vrabel would probably be the best available guy, which is why I think it's a a bad move. Totally. Well, I don't think it is a question of just pure coaching ability. Like you said, I think it's a philosophical difference of probably wanting to get younger and probably wanting to be more offensively oriented. I think that these Titans teams were at their best when you had Vrabel paired with a bright young offensive mind if it was Lafleur for that one season ironically Arthur Smith was pretty damn good in Tennessee and really made the most of that offense and then even after Arthur Smith it was Todd Downing and they were still really good so that's not a great offensive mind but Vrabel just can't carry the load there and as they have regressed their talent isn't very good like that's what's sort of frustrating me about this is like sure yeah they have a couple big names because they have derrick henry and d hop but those are aging stars who are far from their peak productivity they're still very good but not 
like the elite players at their positions that they used to be. And I think that I would just want Mike Vrabel to be the coach of my team. I think he prepares. I think he does build a culture. I think in-game, he's really smart, good clock management, good decision-making. And I thought consistently did make the most of their talent. Like, yeah, it was him paired with an offensive guy, but they were able to sustain that run for a bit across three different coordinators. Vrabel was the constant. And... I mean, they never had the talent of an 11-12 win team. And that's what they were for a couple years in a row. And now they've taken a step back. But I still think that you got to give Vrabel credit for what he did previously. And I think for keeping you at the very least competitive. So I would want him as the coach of my football team. However, I think the obvious landing spot for him is the New England Patriots. Because it seems like they're going to part ways with Belichick. I guess you could argue that they're another team that should just make that full 180, let's commit to a young offensive guy, and I would be good with that, but I'm just not sure if that's in their organizational DNA, even beyond Bill and what he's established. Vrabel, to me, is like the closest thing to younger Belichick that you're going to get, right? Buttoned up, prepared, builds a culture, defensively oriented, and then if you pair him with the offensive mind, not Bill O'Brien, I think he's just a good coach. I think he's one of the few coaches who maybe isn't an offensive mind where I'm like, I still really like what that guy brings to the organization. You know, I don't hate that. I think that's actually a a good idea. I just think that New England is going to go with Gerard Mayo. I think that's almost a foregone conclusion at this point that he's going to step in. Uh, Also a former Patriot inside linebacker. I'm intrigued as to what happens with Steve Belichick post Bill Belichick because I think Steve's a, a good defensive mind too. Yeah, maybe he'll uh, get a haircut. <laughs> yeah. That's my dream for him. My my kind of ideal landing spot, I think, for Vrabel is Washington. I think that's the most logical landing spot for me with Vrabel. Like, yeah, I think sure. Washington, and they've hired, I don't know if you heard, uh, Washington has reportedly hired uh, Bob Myers, Bob Myers. Uh, over from Golden State, or former Golden State. Yeah. Um, was he assistant GM? Was that his title? What was, what was his role? No, he was GM. GM. And then they brought in Brad Spielman, uh, I think, from Minnesota, and they're going to do the hiring process. To me, Washington is a team that, kind of similar to the Detroit Lions when they hired Dan Campbell, really need an organizational reset and cultural tempo setter, a guy that is going to establish a culture there. Like I think Washington was doomed under Dan Snyder. No matter really what they did, under Dan Snyder was going to matter because he was the guy pulling the strings. And now that they have finally freed themselves from the shackles of Dan Snyder, I think it's time to, to rise like a phoenix and, you know, flap your wings. And I think the best guy to to help them get there is Vrabel because we've seen him. He did it with Tennessee. He established a culture. And I think he's young enough to where he can do that with another team. And I think that I, I just wish Washington hadn't given up some of the defensive assets that they gave up. Uh, like a Montez Sweat, like a Chase Young. Because can you imagine, man, Mike Vrabel stepping into a a defense with those kind of guys on the D-line? That's the only issue I had with Washington this season. But I think it's a, I think it's a good fit. I think they would, I think they would be uh, mutually beneficial. That is really interesting because Washington is sort of in a predicament here where now they've just let go of Rivera. And you have Eric Bieniemy, who, like, for a half decade, it felt like, was the hot NFL yeah. coaching candidate because he was associated with the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And then 
he was the play caller for like one of the worst offenses in football this year. And sure, not a good quarterback talent, but pretty solid skill position talent. Like uh, not great there either, but it was not an impressive debut from him mm-hmm. apart from Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes. So you can't really bring in like Bobby Slowick, right? You can't be like, Hey, we're going to bring in this young offensive yeah. line and keep the enemy. It's going to be either the enemy stays in charge of the offense and they bring in a defensive coach like Vrabel or after one mm-hmm. year, you're just immediately done with the enemy. So if they do stick with him, then I think that Vrabel is like an awesome hire. I really, really, really think that Jim Harbaugh would also be good. He could bring in a whole staff. I think For Jim DC? Harbaugh would be good anywhere. I mean, I think he'd be good anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm a true. big Harbaugh believer. I think Jim Harbaugh is incredibly smart. I think that he has led to winning every single place that he has ever been. Like, that dude is going to make a splash in the NFL. But considering he is going to have his pick of the litter, why not go to where the franchise quarterback is? Why not go to the Chargers with Justin Herbert? Yeah, that's what I think is most likely. My favorite thing about Harbaugh is that he wears the same clothes every day like a so cartoon hard. character. Dude, also like like Zuck, like the Zuck. Why? Can't expend the mental energy. You can't waste the energy. Wear. Can't, can't waste, waste the, energy. the energy. Steve Jobs is where they got it from. No, I don't think Zuck does that actually. Maybe I just got my tech nerds mixed up. Maybe Was he it, stole it from Wozniak? Steve Jobs as well. Maybe it's Wozniak. No, Jobs is the originator of it all. But Jobs' fit was tough. Jobs was dripping. Harbaugh, not so much. The khakis, the polo. But I'm happy for him winning the natty. I was really hoping Washington would win because I've been a Pac-12 fan my entire life, and now it's dead and it's been ripped from us. And I thought that'd be so sick for them to go out on a high note. But if it was going to go to somebody else, I think that Harbaugh is a guy who has been so consistently subjected to criticism because he's been so consistently good, but he hasn't gotten the one championship at either level, which is breaking news really really hard to do and now he's done it and it's u of m i mean those people yeah oh yeah live and breathe football i mean it is especially when you have the rivalries that they do with ohio state and that's a huge monkey off of harbaugh's back where it would be kind of cool for him to go out on a high note you know what i mean i think he is i think he is but there's some weird stuff going on where like there's talk of the nfl instituting whatever punishment the ncaa gives him for the sign stealing thing so like he would still have to serve a suspension of some kind that's ridiculous i think he's done with college football i think he's coming back to the nfl and i do think the chargers make the most Mm -hmm. sense for him because why not get why not get your franchise quarterback and sean mcdermott no matter how many allusions he makes to (laughs) 9-11 is going to keep his job just because the season ended up getting saved (laughs) and he does have that big old extension through 2028 so on that note We are done here today, folks. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, you can always find our full shows on the NerdSesh YouTube page with video. You can listen to the podcast across audio platforms. We're going to be back this week talking NBA and then giving our full playoff previews as well. Big week for us over here at NerdSesh. You can always find our trivia content over on TikTok and on Instagram at NerdSesh is the handle for both of those. Twitter is at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord if you want. That is at the link in our link tree across our social media bios and you can cop some nerd sesh merch i got the hat on we've got the flags behind us we got shirts we got hoodies all that at thevolume.com. so with that as always appreciate you guys i've been carson brabber i have been logan camden and this was nerd sesh
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.